Let's have a word of prayer. I need prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do want to thank you now that we can come. And I just want to ask, Father, that you'll bless as we open your word, as we study together, that you'll give us your spirit. And may we sense that when we leave this place tonight, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Winsome witnessing is a, uh, a play on words. I, I'm a convert to Adventism, uh, convert to Christianity as well, I might add. I was 17 years old, and I was well in the world. I wasn't a member of any other church, but I was interested. I was seeking. I was looking for Bible truth, and it was a time in, it was 1979, so I can tell you how old I am if you can do higher math real quickly, but 1979, we would wait in mile-long ga- lines to buy gasoline. Do any of you remember that? Some of you were born in 79, I know, but uh, uh, mile-long lines to get gasoline. And I, I think there's kind of a parallel in our day today, not with the gasoline lines yet, it's just what they're charging us. But, you know, with, with the turmoil in the world, there was turmoil in the world back then, especially in the Middle East. You see that today and all the storms and the chaos that we have today. And what that does is that stirs up people and they start thinking, what's happening in our world? And if you listen to people, that is the conversation now. People are wondering, what's up? Why, why are we having so many catastrophes? And why is nature gone berserk? And why do we have all these problems right now? And some people would like to blame it all on George Bush, and I'm sure he has his finger in it somewhere along the line. But I don't think he can control the weather. And as much as he tries to settle Middle East conflicts, he's not going to settle that one either, because the Bible says they'll be fighting till Jesus comes. But back then, I was searching, and I was thankful the Lord brought me to him, and he brought me to him through a series of meetings that the Adventist Church sponsored, an evangelistic series of meetings. And of course, as a new convert, I was all excited about what I was learning, and I had to go out and tell everybody. And you know, one of the first things you tell everybody is the Sabbath is on Saturday, and then you know what the second thing is you tell everybody? The Pope's the Antichrist. Hope we don't have any Catholics here. Sorry if we do. Uh, and then the third thing, you know, the third thing is you tell everybody he's a new convert. The mark of the beast. Mark of the beast is Sunday, and everybody's going to hell who goes on goes to church on Sunday. Well, that's not winsome witnessing, and I found that out very quickly. It took years to undo some of the damage I did, but you know, it was this type of witnessing. This gentleman's out in the uh, local shopping mall. Uh, witnessing, and he says, sir, while your wife finishes her shopping, perhaps you would like to get ready to die. And he hands him a track on salvation. And sometimes that is our method of witnessing. You know, we're telling people, you know, get ready now or you're going to die. You're going to get the seven last plagues or you'll get the mark of the beast. Or how about this guy? This is evangelism. He sees this guy over here. Uh, he says, that man looks like he needs a track. And this guy's over there smoking and drinking his beer, thinking shallow thoughts, you see. And the guy jumps up, bonsai, and lands on him. Believe or die, believe or die. And he wrestles him to the ground. Take my track and believe. And the guy fights his way free and runs off. And the guy's still shouting, you must believe. But I like the, the bottom line here. He says, well, at least I, I sowed some seeds. <laughs> you know, have you ever felt that way? You know, in the midst of uh, a failure in witnessing, he says, well, at least I sowed some seeds. And you'll have people that, uh, that do that. You know, there's a way to witness that is winsome, 
and it will win some to Christ. But there's another way to witness that I believe is actually inspired by the devil himself. And I think it's mentioned right here in Acts 16. Remember the demoniac, the the demon-possessed young lady that followed Paul, and I believe Silas, uh, along behind them. And she said this, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now let me ask you a question. Is there anything wrong with what she said? Nothing wrong. She said, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show to us the way of salvation. Now think about it. Back there in Paul's day, you couldn't send out uh, handbills to advertise your meetings. You couldn't buy television ads, newspaper ads, billboard space. So this was great advertising. This lady following along who had a reputation in town as being someone connected to the gods, and it was not a foreign god to these people. It was the type of god that they worshipped. And so she's got instant credibility, and she's going along, she's saying, Hey, these are people from God, and they're going to show us truth. They're going to show us the way of salvation, and you think you would want that. I know as an Adventist evangelist and preacher, if I went into town, and the pastor of the largest non-Adventist church in town got up in his pulpit and said, you've got to go hear that guy over there. He's going to show us the way of salvation. I'd like that. That's going to bring me a crowd. But you know what? Here's what Paul said. Who was she really witnessing to? even though there was nothing wrong with what she said. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. There was a demon in her, wasn't it? Come out of her. So her witness was a negative witness because God did not want Paul and his message to be associated with this demon-possessed young lady. didn't matter if she said the right thing. Her influence and who she was was all wrong. And that, even though she said the right thing, it would all lend itself to a wrong witness. Volume 4 of the testimony says this, The manner in which truth is presented often has much to do in determining whether it will be accepted or rejected. You see, she didn't talk about what you say. She said what? The manner in which you present truth often determines whether it's going to be accepted or rejected. Now, I've met people that I know, and I have done this myself, where my manner was not right. But some people make that their whole method of evangelism, to go browbeating people over the head with the truth. Now, I know none of you would do that, would you? But I've met them. I've met people. I, in fact, Winsome Witnessing actually grew out of a church that I pastored uh, it grew out of a lot of experiences, but uh, some of my best illustrations come out of a church I pastored where the conference president un- told me, he said, you know, you pastor this church here and you do well here, you can do anything. I did not have a clue what he was saying. What he was saying is this church eats pastors for breakfast and spits them out. And I didn't have a clue. I was new and young, and, and that's what he was saying. He was saying, if you survive here, you'll do anything. Because it was, it was uh, spitting pastors out every two years and had been for about 30 years. In fact, we had a reunion of pastors and none of the guys wanted to come back. They'd, they'd ask me, they'd say, well, so-and-so there? Yeah. They still doing what they were doing back when I was there? Oh, they did that when you were there? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, they're still doing that today. Yeah. Okay. No, I can't make it. <laughs> uh Let's say this. This describes one of our dear members in that church. Volume 1 of the Testimonies, page 420. 
God is angry with those who pursue a course to make the world hate them. If a Christian is hated because of his good works and for following Christ, he will have a reward. But if he's hated because he does not take a course to be loved, hate it because of his uncultivated manners and because he makes the truth a matter of quarrel with his neighbors and takes a course to make the Sabbath as annoying as possible to them. You'd think she'd stop this sentence somewhere along here, right? I mean, she's just, she must have run into some of these people in her day too because she just keeps adding on here. Takes a course to make the Sabbath annoying. He's a stumbling block to sinners, a reproach to the sacred truth. And unless he repents, it were better for him that a millstone were hung about his neck and he were cast into the sea. I like Ellen White. She had a little spunk to her, didn't she? She just kind of got, got vexed a little bit here. No occasion should be given to unbelievers to reproach our faith. We're considered odd and singular and should not take a course to lead unbelievers to think us more so than our faith requires us to be. Now, would you say amen to that? Don't you like that? Often I see people writing that one down. They want to share that with their friend in church. I had a member. Uh, I pastored in a, a southeastern city, a very famous historical southeastern city where the civil rights movement started, Montgomery, Alabama. Anybody here from Alabama? Any former members or relatives of people I'm going to tell stories about right now? No, I don't see any here. I told a terrible joke one time out of about Arkansas, and I had a family from Arkansas there. They didn't think it was too pleasant after I was done with that. But uh, I had a member who did not appreciate the fact that our church was integrated in Montgomery, Alabama. You see, he lived in a time warp. He thought we were still in the 60s, and here we were in the 80s and the 90s at this time. And so he didn't appreciate anybody of color coming to our church, even though we had uh, we had a, a mixed group there, and it was, it was pleasant to have that. He didn't like that. And so he would stand and make it his job to, to stand in the foyer and tell people that blacks and whites should not worship together. Can you believe that in God's remnant church? And that church had let him do that. Nobody said anything to him until I came along. And I said, you're not going to do that, not in any church that I pastor. Well, why not? I said, because you're not going to do it. It's not of God. You're not going to do it here. Then he proceeded to threaten to punch me out. And then I said, and you're not going to do that either. In fact, you are not going to be an elder anymore, and you're not going to be teaching Sabbath school anymore with this attitude. And he said, oh, yeah? And we brought him to the board meeting, and he said, uh, he said, he won't let me teach Sabbath school anymore. And I said, and tell them why. <laughs> None of the board believed this. And he said, because I was, I was going to punch your teeth out. And he said, I would have done it too. And the whole board looked at me and looked at him. And their mouths hung open. And they said, wow, we didn't really believe he was saying those type of things. He was. But he was a guy that was out witnessing. But let me tell you how he witnessed. I, I learned this very soon after I got there as a pastor. We had a big uh, uh, hayride in the fall out on his farm. And adjacent to his farm, he had a mobile home court. And he invited all the folks from the mobile home court over to witness to them. And as I was getting acquainted with my new members and walking around, they had a big bonfire. And it was a great time until I walked up on his witnessing. He had about 20 of these people from the mobile home court. And as I walked up, I could hear him say, The Pope is the Antichrist. Sunday is the mark of the beast. 
And some dear Catholic in that circle said, nah, that can't be. You're just full of hate. And he said, no, I'm right, pastor. Boom, and he grabbed me and put me in the center. He said, tell him I'm right, tell him. You know, what do you say? You, you know, you're, you're, well, can I say that? You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. I guess I said it. So anyway, anyway, it was, uh, I didn't know what to say. And then I realized this guy was one of these kamikaze witnesses, witnesses. You know, he was out destroying people all the time. So that's not a winsome witness. And Ellen White says, you know, those type of people need to wear a beautiful necklace called a millstone and be thrown into the depths of the sea because they are witnessing for the devil and not for God. And I believe it's these negative examples of witnessing that have turned a lot of good people off from sharing their faith because they don't want to be like that. They don't want to come on too strong. We don't want to turn people off. We don't want to uh, turn people away from the kingdom of God. So we take it very slow and easy. In fact, sometimes so slow, so easy, that nobody would even ever know we were witnessing. And maybe we're not. But you know, one of the things that will scare people more than anything else in a church is to tell them we're going to go out and we're going to go witnessing. You get that look like you see an opossum's eyes when you're driving down a dark dark road at night, you know, he just kind of gets frozen in his tracks and gets big eyed and he doesn't know what to do. And sometimes witnessing is like that. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I still don't like going and knocking on a stranger's door. How many of you like to do that? Come on. I know there are a couple weird ones here. You like to do it? Yeah. Any others you like to do it? See, God always gives you a few people like that. Those are the people you want to go out with and let them do all the knocking on the doors. But, you know, I still kind of feel like that possum when I'm going to go out and witness. Now, I don't think that the model for witnessing is just going out and knocking on doors. I think that's for some people, and sometimes you need to do that. But living our life, you know, being a neighbor, being a friend, uh, looking for people who are searching for truth, that's the type of witness that we want to examine this weekend. How do you do that? How can we be a person that introduces others to Christ. So we'll be looking at that. Now let me ask you a question. You ever feel like this when you think you're, you're, you're gonna, you need to come up with some creative thing to say to your neighbor or your friend or your co-worker? You wonder, how am I going, I know they need God, but how am I going to approach this? And you go through all these mental gymnastics and how you're going to do it. You ever feel nervous? You know, this is one of the things that a lot of people tell me that keeps them back from witnessing. It makes them nervous. Let me ask you a question. What are you nervous about? How many of you get nervous when you think about giving a Bible study or witnessing? Okay. Let me ask you, what are you nervous about? Help me out. What's that? Saying the wrong thing. Okay. Rejection. Yes. (laughs) Being asked a question that you don't know the answer to. Very good. Anybody else? Say that a little louder. Causing someone to fall because you don't do it right. Good. Anyone else? What's that? Pushing them away. Anyone else? Bringing them to a point of decision and they might not, you might not know how to get them through and and you might do something. Nobody said this one yet. I think I've heard it implied. 
you might do the wrong thing and cause them to be lost. I think that's what you were saying. Say or do the wrong thing and then they're lost. You know, All the things that you've mentioned here are common. Everywhere I've taught this, it's the same type of things that we all share in common that make us nervous. You know, we're going to be asked the question that we don't know the answer to. We're going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, and it's all going to fall apart. And I believe it's the devil that tries to get us nervous like that. One of the biggest ones, though, is this question one. So we're going to talk about how do you tame your nerves? Because I think that's where you have to start. You have to say, how am I going to not be nervous about this? So let's talk about taming your nerves. You don't have to have a theology degree to witness. In fact, you might even be better off if you don't. Because sometimes those preachers, we get so much into our head, we think we've got to explain it all. And really, people don't need all of that. I remember one time giving a Bible study, and I was going through all this stuff because I thought this person needed it. And after I was all done, the last thing I said clicked. And, they say, and it was the most simple answer. It was the most simple answer to their question. And I gave that to them, and they said, well, that's the answer. Why didn't you say that 30, 40 minutes ago? You know, so sometimes it's better not to have all that knowledge. Just a very simple answer does it. Bob was a guy that taught me you didn't have to know a lot to share the Bible with someone else. Bob was not a Christian. He was not an Adventist. And he met a uh, Seventh-day Adventist barber and began Bible studies with him. And then Bob's life started changing as he started studying the Word of God. Bob worked at a grocery store. He stocked the shelves at night. And it was all guys, and their language was kind of coarse, and the jokes were crude. And they would laugh and cut up all night long. Well, Bob stopped laughing at the jokes, and he stopped using coarse language. And he started demonstrating that he had patience. And he wasn't losing his patience and getting angry. He wasn't angry at the boss anymore. And so people start noticing Bob was changing. They said, what's happened, Bob? And he said, well, I'm studying the Bible. Well, then he became the target of the jokes and the attacks. And they started laughing at him. And he said, no, it's real. It's doing something in my life. Well, one of his coworkers got him off to the side one evening and said, Bob, you have changed. I've noticed that. Something's happening in your life. You've got a peace that you didn't have before. And I would like that same piece. Can you share with me what you're studying? So Bob began studies with this guy. Now, Bob would take the Bible study one week, and the next week he'd turn around and give that Bible study to his coworker. He was only ever one Bible study ahead of his coworker. The day Bob was baptized in New Haven, Connecticut, his coworker was baptized that same Sabbath in Bridgeport, Connecticut, next door. And he won him by just being one step ahead of him. So how far ahead of someone do you need to be to lead them to Christ? You only need to be a little step, don't you? And so we don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have the ultimate experience in witnessing. We just need to know a little bit and be willing to share that little bit. And then we'll find that God will bless us. This statement here has always given me a lot of encouragement. It comes from Christ Object Lessons, page 354. And I'd like to invite you to read it with me out loud from off the screen here. He who begins with a little knowledge in a humble way and tells what he knows while seeking diligently for further knowledge 
will find the whole heavenly treasure awaiting his demand. The more he seeks to impart light, the more light he will receive. The more one tries to explain the word of God to others with a love for souls, the plainer it becomes to himself. Pretty awesome statement, isn't it? You see, she says, the more we use our knowledge and exercise our powers, the more knowledge and power we shall have. He who begins with how much knowledge? A little. How many of you qualify? You have a little knowledge? Yeah, all you need is a little. And if you're humble about it and tell what? Well, you know, all you have to do is begin with the little you know and tell what you know while you're seeking for more light you will get that more light. And I love this word, try. All you have to do is try. You know, try doesn't, trying does not guarantee success, does it? In fact, it implies you're probably going to fail some. But if you just try to explain the word of God with a love for souls, the word will become plainer to yourself and you'll begin seeing success. So what we have are some conditions and promises here. Begin with the little knowledge that we have. Tell what you know. Seek to impart the light. Try to explain the word. And then the promises are the whole heavenly treasure will be open to you. You'll receive more light. The word will become plainer to you. And you will get more knowledge and power. Can you say amen to that? Those are awesome promises. And those promises can be our reality just by trying. Just by getting out there and trying. I grew up uh, half my childhood in Louisiana. And as you know from the news recently, Louisiana has a lot of water. In fact, more water now than they had before a few weeks ago. But in, in Louisiana, they call it sportsman's paradise. You hunt and fish. That's what you do in Louisiana. And I did a lot of fishing and swimming. But I'll tell you how I learned how to swim. It's the old way. You throw the kid in the water and you hope they swim. And if they don't, they drown. You go get another kid. Actually, they don't do that in Louisiana. Uh, that's actually not a funny joke after what just happened up in uh, San Francisco. Uh, was it Monterey? Monterey Bay? Was Mon- at Fisherman's Wharf? A woman threw a uh, crazy woman threw threw her uh, kid in the kids in the water. So it was really sad. But literally, I learned how to swim by just getting in the water, and I was swimming across a channel, and halfway across, I realized I wasn't a good enough swimmer for this. Then you become a Christian. Then you start praying. And by the time I got, I got about 20 feet off the other bank, there was a boat tied there, and I grabbed hold of it just in time. But that's how I learned how to swim. I was actually a good swimmer after that experience because you learn to keep your head above water. And witnessing sometimes feels like that. You get out there and you start, and you think you might drown. You don't know the answers and all that. But as you start, something supernatural starts taking place the Holy Spirit actually starts giving you answers to questions. He starts giving you ideas. I went to uh, train with an evangelist as a um, 20-year-old. And uh, I arrived before he expected me to arrive. And I hooked up with the guy that was going to train me, who had been with him in the previous meeting. And he and I were walking up to the first door, and I said, well, I'm really glad you're here because I'm looking forward to learning from you. And he turned at me with, with the color drained out of his face, literally. And he said, wait, you're supposed to be training me. I said, no, no, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm here. You're training me. You were with this guy before I was. He says, no, I don't know what I'm doing either. And here we are standing at this door by this time. 
and have rung the doorbell. And, uh, and as soon as the guy opens the door, this guy clams up, just gets totally quiet. And so it was left to me to talk. And I can talk, so as you'll soon find out. So I start talking. We go in the, in the house, and it's a police officer who's just gotten off duty. He's pulled his shirt off, but he still has his uniform pants on and his T-shirt. Now, police officers are trained to intimidate. And so I'm there telling him my little spiel that we're here to give him Bible studies, and he starts asking me, all these questions, all these questions. And intuitively, I know. If I start answering all his questions, this Bible study is going nowhere. And so I start praying. And as I do, the Lord starts giving me things to say to him. And the things that I learned in that, at that first home, I still use today in getting Bible studies. The Lord gave me things to say, and actually the police officer said some things to me, gave me things to say that I still use today that put people at ease when I first meet them and start to initiate Bible studies. Where did that come from? I didn't learn it in any witnessing course. It came from being out on the pavement. It came from drowning, being in this cop's home and having him stare down at me and start interrogating me. I needed help, and when I needed help, God gave it. So it's a wonderful position to find yourself in because God will do things for you. And as you're doing that, what you'll find is he strengthens your faith. You start realizing this is a supernatural experience. The Holy Spirit's communicating to you. Some of my best insights into Scripture have come as a result of not knowing the answer. I, was, I held an evangelistic meeting just about a year ago now in Wichita, Kansas. You know Wichita, Kansas, don't you? And I was uh, studying with a guy who is a very influential man in town, uh, wealthy, financial, you know, and you know him. And so uh, we were studying together, and this guy had every question you could imagine against the Sabbath. And he was studying. He was studying to hit me with every question. So we went out to lunch one day. It ended up being a three-hour lunch. And during that lunch, he was asking every question. And the Lord was giving me answers that I'd never thought of before. Absolutely never thought of before. Now, the pastor I was with is a good friend of mine, Don McIntosh. And I don't know if you know Don. I consider Don a genius. He's very, very smart. Knows the Bible very, very well. And so I, I feel very small next to Don. He's very smart. And so I'm sitting there giving them these answers. And... Uh, both of he and I went out, and I said, what do you think? And we both said, we'd never thought about those things before, but those were solid biblical answers. The bottom line was, at the end of our visit, this gentleman was telling me, he was saying, I've, you've given me a lot to think about as tears welled up in his eyes. And the Lord was speaking to his heart. And it was all because the Holy Spirit was there. Now, I was not capable to go up against this guy one-on-one, but the Holy Spirit comes in and he starts giving you insights that I left on a spiritual high. Let me, let me finish here with this quote from Desire of Ages. There are those who for a lifetime have professed to be acquainted with Christ, yet who have never made a personal effort to bring even one soul to the Savior. Now that is a pitiful thing if that is your experience. If you go through your whole life and you've never made an effort to bring one soul to Christ, and you've never had the joy of seeing God use you to bring one soul to Christ, then you've really missed out on some tremendous blessings that God will give you. 
if you'll make the commitment to be used of God to bring a soul to Christ, I believe God is waiting and looking for people who will do that. And if we just go to Christ and we say, Lord, I don't know how to do this, I really don't. And where I've tried before, maybe I failed. I'm scared, I get nervous, I can't hardly string two sentences together when I talk about you to a stranger or even to someone I know. But I want to be used by you. Lord, take what I have and use it. God will use it. He will bless you. She continues here. One reason people do this is they leave all the work for the minister. And she says he may be well qualified for his calling, but he cannot do that which God has left for who? Finish it with me. The members of the church. My friends, that's us. We are the ones who've been called to share the gospel with lost people. It's not just the ministers. And if you, if you depend upon the ministers, we're going, going to be here a long, long time. We have to do the work. I started out as a layperson with a passion to share Christ. And I was sharing Christ with my friends who were drinking and smoking and doing things that they shouldn't have been doing, uh, some of which were illegal. But I was there sharing Christ. And the reason I was doing it was because Christ was welling up in my life, in my heart. And I want to encourage you this weekend as we meet together for us to pray and ask God to just give us a love for Him that just has to bubble out and that He'll give us opportunities and divine appointments to share Him. That irrespective of our knowledge, our experience, our capabilities, our talent, that we're dedicating ourselves and we're asking God to use us and we know that He will. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your wonderful love for us. That love that reaches down across the, the uh, stars, across the universe, and has come down to this planet. And you've touched our hearts, Lord, and you've touched this world through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you'll just give us a love for you that has to be expressed. Help us to fall so in love with you and your ways, and your truth, that we have to share it with others. And then, Lord, we pray that you'll make us winsome witnesses. Educate us. Teach us. We are faulty, Lord. We don't know it all by any means. But we know that you know it all, and you know the pathway to people's hearts. And so we open our minds and our hearts to be your channel through whom you can work to bring people to heaven. I pray, Father, especially that you'll bless us this Sabbath as we spend these hours together. I believe, Father, that you have people you want to reach through us who are gathered here. You have specific names in mind, people and addresses, people we may not even have met yet that you're going to put in our path very soon. And I pray, Lord, that this weekend will be a practical experience and that will be a God time that we have with you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.